0: glad that you're here today for sunday school bishop myers is out of town brother richie's out of town so you have the third string quarterback today we're excited for the opportunity to share with you this morning why don't we go before the lord in prayer lord we're so thankful to be in your house today thankful for the opportunity to study your word together what a privilege it is god to have your word to be in your house to be with brothers and sisters we ask you lord that you would be with us today in this study, and that you would just open our hearts and minds. Thank you, Lord, for your Spirit and your presence. In Jesus' name, everybody said, "Amen." amen. God bless. You. you may be seated. We are uh, talking this month about restore or restoration. I want to continue today in that same that same theme. Um, I turn your attention to Second Kings chapter twenty-five. We're going to read a number of uh, verses in your hearing. I want to compare. Uh, Two different stories, one from Second Kings and one from Second Samuel. So we begin in Second Kings chapter 25 and verse 27. And it came to pass in the seventh and thirtieth year of the captivity of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the twelfth month, on the seventh and twentieth day of the month, that evil Morodok, king of Babylon in the year that he began to reign, did lift up the head of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, out of prison. And he spake kindly to him and set his throne above the throne of the kings that were with him in Babylon, gave him a more elevated position, though he had been in prison for 37 years and changed his prison garments changed his identity and he referring to jehoiakim the king of judah who had been released from prison he did eat bread continually before him all the days of his life meaning that he now sat at the king of babylon's table verse 30 and his allowance was a continual allowance given him of the king a daily rate For every day, all the days of his life. In other words, he had food, he had a portion, he had an income for the rest of his life. Now looking over in 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 6. 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 6. This is a story about a man by the name of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan. Jonathan, who was the son of King Saul and who was very close friends with David. Jonathan had a son by the name of Mephibosheth. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness, for Jonathan, thy father's sake. Mephibosheth was obviously nervous. There had been a change. The empire of Saul had been taken and given, of course, to David to be the new king. And so David wanted to know if Jonathan had any children. And he said, Yes, he has a boy who's crippled. His name is Mephibosheth. He said, Bring him before me. So whenever Mephibosheth came before David, he was quite fearful. And uh, David says, no reason to be afraid. I'm going to show you kindness for your father Jonathan's sake. And we'll restore thee. Everybody say restore. restore. We'll restore thee all the land of Saul, thy father. Thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Now here we see the commonality with the first story. Once again, an individual who has sort of been on the outskirts. He's been in obscurity for a number of years. But now the king, a new king, David, he says, you're going to eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself, this is referring to Mephibosheth, and said, what is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? This was how Mephibosheth literally viewed himself. As nothing more than a dead dog I want to talk to you today on the subject the table of restoration we've been talking about restoration that is the well that we are digging from this month and so I want to talk to you this morning a few moments that I have with you on the table of restoration I was recently reading through some old uh, diaries that I keep and my travels and I found some old notes This one related to December the 17th, 2000, so uh, maybe close to 19 years ago. I had written this, I was greeted by a bubbly three-year-old with pigtails. Uncle David, she screamed, and raced across the room jumping in my arms. Name is Claire, the daughter of my good friends Lance and Monica McElhaney who live in Indianapolis, Indiana. She was glad to see me. I was not sure whether she liked me or the fact that her parents told her that I live close to Mickey Mouse. I was glad to see her. I was especially glad to get indoors. The winter storm in Indiana had unleashed a triangular juggernaut of 18 inches of snow, 40-mile-hour winds, and temperatures... 10 below zero. Having to defend the election process of the state of Florida. You'll remember, this now is 2000, you remember what had taken place just a month before in November of 2000. That's when we had the hanging chads and all that going on in the state of Florida. My friend was giving me a hard time about do they not know how to count in the state of Florida? Having to defend the election process. The state of Florida, since I arrived, I thought to myself, as I yanked off my gloves, Florida may have a state supreme court that others question, but at least we have good weather. I settled down in a chair with Claire. She had grown a lot since my last visit. She had a book in her hand, and my first thought was, don't tell me the three-year-old daughter of an engineer is already reading. Her dad is a very intelligent uh, electrical engineer. Uh, works in Indianapolis soon I learned the book uh, was for me to read and the book was titled the beauty and the beast as I thumbed through this book I was quickly reminded of the story there was a time when his face was handsome and his palace pleasant but that was before the curse before the shadows fell on the castle of the prince before the shadows fell on the heart of the prince and when the darkness fell he hid secluded in his castle he was left with a glistening snout and curly tusks and a bad mood hairy drooling roaring defying he was a beast but all this changed when the girl came isn't that what happens to all of us men when we get married all that was that was your cue man to say amen real loud but you missed your opportunity some of you've been married too long but all this changed when the girl came she was a beauty stunningly gorgeous contagiously kind she loved the beast and because she loved the beast the beast became more beautiful himself Jehoiakim was just a young man um 18 years old when he was Uh, made king and when he started his reign he was only three months into the reign and nebuchadnezzar and the babylonian armies came to see this new king Jehoiakim, 18 years old and uh, they came to see him it was not to bring gifts or you know christmas cards or presents and it um, was to set the record straight he went out to meet the king of Babylon with his mother. Now that's not a great thing to do. You're the new king, and you're 18 years old, you're going to meet Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, most powerful nation in the world. And he brings his mother with him and his servants and his princes and his officers. But Nebuchadnezzar was not impressed. He took Jehoiakim captive, put his uncle Zedekiah in charge, and he dumped Jehoiakim in a prison in a foreign country and the prime of his life the very thing that Jehoiakim thought would promote him imprisoned him what he thought would bring him honor brought him hostility and I think that that's a good lesson for all of us because king carnality that we think will bring us happiness and humor actually brings us hurt and hopelessness the very thing that we turn to turns on us what we trust betrays us what we embrace disgraces us the flesh rebels and we find that we have a beast within a beast in April of 1992 a young man from a well-to-do family hitched hike to Alaska and walked into the wilderness north of Mount McKinley his name was Christopher Johnson McCandless he had given $25,000 all that he had in savings he had given that money to charity. He had abandoned his car Most of his possessions he burned all the cash that was in his wallet And he invented a new life for himself Four months later his decomposed body was found by a moose hunter He fell in love with the raw power of nature Thinking that nature was his friend He trusted it at the expense of logic and reasoning. He was fascinated with the great outdoors of Alaska. He hiked into an area, found an old school bus, and lived in that out in the middle of the wilderness. But the Alaskan wilderness is nothing to fool with. The river got high, he couldn't get across, and he ended up dying out there in that old school bus. The book written about it, called Into the Wild, fascinating book. But nature killed him and left his carcass there for animals to feed on. He thought that the nature and the beauty of that nature was his friend, but actually it was his foe. Jehoiakim received the worst kind of a prison sentence. It was without a length of time, and it was without a certain conclusion. So every day he waited for Nebuchadnezzar to come and release him. Surely this king will release me. He wanted me dead. He could have killed me. Perhaps he rationalized that as he sat in that prison, all the while growing more and more lonely and despondent as hope faded into a backdrop of endless days. In his book, If Things Are So Good, Why Do I Feel So Bad? George Barna writes, and I quote, The prison of discontent. The prison of emptiness, the prison of restlessness, the prison of lack of purpose, thrown here by king flesh, by king pride, by king self, end of quote. We think we can work our way out, but it gets worse. We think Nebuchadnezzar will come back, putting our hope in the very thing that got us in this prison. But after a while, it becomes obvious that there is no hope within ourselves. It wasn't always so. There was a time when humanity's face was beautiful and the palace was pleasant. But that was before the curse, before the shadow fell across the garden of Adam, before the shadow fell across the heart of Adam. And ever since the curse, we have been different. We do things we know we should not do, and then wonder why we did them. Paul is very uh, transparent in the book of Romans. When you read chapter seven, he says, "For the good that I would not, I do; and that which I would not, I do for the evil which is within me. I know not how to be delivered from this body of death." The good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would, not that I do. In other words, he's saying, I've got good intentions, I want to do what's right, but I can't find a way out on my own. When he gets to chapter 8 of Romans, in the first verse, he says, as he finds his answer, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You have to wait till a new king comes and it's the new king that gives you your freedom it's that understanding that i can't rescue myself but there's a god hallelujah there's a new king on the throne of my heart and he's going to restore all things you say well surely as pastor you've never known the temptation of not doing the right thing i would like to believe that myself but my diary revealed a different story As I continued reading, I was quite surprised to read these things that I had written about myself. On December the 10th, 2000, with my Bible in my lap, I was a part of a law-breaking activity in a red Z-28 from Indianapolis to Kokomo. Many laws were broken on that trip, all of them speeding. The driver asked me to forgive him as he whisked me from the airport, to the Mantle Conference in Kokomo. I asked the Lord to forgive me. He was merciful. We lived, and three men received the Holy Ghost that night. That night, I ate 12 spicy chicken wings and paid the price for my gluttony. (laughs) On Monday, I watched five minutes of the Oprah Winfrey show. It was all I could take. On Tuesday, I lost my cell phone in Chicago and threw a fit, accusing numerous people around me of stealing it. On Wednesday, I shoveled snow off the driveway of my friend's house. His neighbor came out and yelled at me for dumping the snow in his yard. I told him I was from Florida. (laughs) On Thursday, I was mad at this very large man that was sitting next to me on the airplane. He would not share the armrest with me. So when he went to the bathroom, I ate his peanuts that were on his tray table. (laughs) When he got back, he looked around and said, What happened to my peanuts? I said, I ate them. He said, Oh. On Friday, I hid from two Mormons that were ringing my doorbell. I'm going to have to find a way to get rid of my diaries. In his book, He Chose the Nails, Max Lucado writes, and I quote, Paul isn't the only person who wrestled the beast within... It's hard to find a page in the scripture where the animal doesn't bear his teeth. If the Bible is called the good book, it is not because its people are. Blood runs as freely through the stories as the ink through the quills that pin them. End of quote. 37 years later. 37 years in this dungeon. 37 years of false hope. 37 years of believing a lie. 37 years of heartache. King Nebuchadnezzar dies and his son comes to the throne. When he becomes king, he calls for Jehoiakim. He releases him and then, if you'll remember what we read in the text, he lifts up his head i'm thankful that there is a king who is the king of kings his name is jesus and at him at his feet the bible says one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess he lifts us up he is a god that restores our dignity and restores our hope i remember when i was a a young man we used to sing a song in the church called i don't remember the title but it was about lift me up above the shadows anybody remember that song lift me up above the shadows we used to sing that because there's something about this king jesus that he has us to lift up our head we may be looking down we may be despondent and discouraged i've tried to uh, raise uh, my children to tell them that when you talk to somebody you look at them in the eye when you shake hands with somebody you look at them in the eye and I see a whole generation of people that look down their head is cast down their gaze is down it's a walk a look a disposition of shame and regret but ladies and gentlemen the Lord lifts up our head. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. You don't have to live your life in shame. You don't have to live your life in discouragement. The Lord causes us to lift up our head and says, It's gonna be okay. Because he's the king that restores us. Lift me up above the shadows. Jehoiakim comes out of this prison 37 years. He is nasty. He is smelly. He is broken. He is a beast. But an invitation from a new king changes all of that. you realize that every time the word of God goes forth, it is an invitation from a new king. You've been serving King Carnality, and King Carnality has you in a prison. You've been serving King Pride, and King Pride has you in a self-induced prison. But there's a new king. His name is Jesus, and he sends an invitation out. You don't have to stay in that prison any longer. You don't have to be a prisoner to your own fleshly impulses. You don't have to be a prisoner to all of the addictions of this flesh. You can be released and set free, and you can lift up your head, and you can live your life above the dark shadows of sin. The Bible says that this new king spoke kindly unto him what a great god we serve spoke kindly unto him set his throne above all the other thrones isn't that awesome how god when he restores us ladies and gentlemen he doesn't restore us back to some sort of a position of inferiority he restores us back to a place hallelujah where he originally created us to be and that's a place of comfort and strength We get our self-esteem back. We understand why we're here, what our purpose is in this life. And then it says that this new king changed his prison garments. In other words, you got a new identity. You don't don't walk around in those clothes anymore. Because those are prison clothes. You know, when a person gets released from prison they don't keep on wearing the same prison garb that they had to wear in there they get new clothes drop me off at the clothing store i got to get some new clothes because i've been released i'm a new creature he gave him new garments because he had a new identity oh i'm thankful that when we get saved the lord gives us new garments come on now you've been wearing the garment of heaviness But he gives you a new garment. It's a garment of joy. It's a garment of peace. It's a garment of love and trust. You didn't have that before. But God changes our identity. And then the Bible says he ate the king's bread every day. Every day. The king's bread. I'm going to tell you something about the king's bread. It's the best bread in the whole land that's where the fresh bread went that was the first stop that the wonder bread truck made every morning the palace fresh bread not that old hard bread that you could hurt somebody if you hit them on the head with i'm talking about soft ooey doughy hot i can taste it right now have you ever had hot bread homemade hot bread that just comes out of the oven you just you know that's going to be at the marriage supper of the lamb right there and we're going to have glorified bodies so we're not going to have to worry about the calories of it we're just going to eat it and it's going to be unbelievable huh he ate the king's bread every day in other words the king is saying what nourishes us in the palace is also going to nourish you I'm glad for a God hallelujah that's not a God that somehow stays distant from his people he's a God that causes us to sit in heavenly places with him And ladies and gentlemen, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive the essence of God Himself. So that every day His mercies are brand new. Every day His Spirit is giving us nourishment. Every day we wake up and you say, This is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. He has given me something that is going to refresh me every day. He ate at the king's table all the days of his life. But why did the king do this? Well, history tells us that before he became king, he crossed up with his father Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar had his own son thrown into prison. Well, when he became king, he released Jehoiakim because he knew what it was like to be in prison and what it was like to be in the palace does that sound familiar to you is that not our savior who robed himself in flesh and was crucified and defeated death he defeated death the bible says hell and the grave i mean he just wrapped it all up in one big swoop he defeated death hell and the grave and guess what he sits Bible says on the circle of the earth heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool but the Bible said he was tempted in all points like as we yet without sin he's been in the prison of humanity he has dealt with the flesh but he now reigns and he wants to release every single individual that is dealing with the prison of this life and the prison of our own mistakes and the prison of the hurt and the shame and he wants you to be set free hallelujah and he wants you to sit at the king's table oh taste and see that the lord is good he has a table spread where the saints of god are fed You know, my friend, every time we gather together in God's house, once again, we sit at the table of the king, hallelujah, and we eat the fresh bread of his table, the fresh bread of his word. It nourishes us, hallelujah. We are in his house. We are at his table. We sit among his angels. God is a God that restores us, hallelujah. That was Jehoiakim, but now let's look at Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was only a child when the maid that was carrying him dropped him. The word had just come from Mount Goboa, the battle that young Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan, and his grandfather, King Saul, was in. They were fighting the Philistines, and the Philistine, the army, had turned, and now they were in a position of defeat and then as brother graham described the town crier makes the way as they signal it through and people ran and communicated and messages and all that in the old days and the word finally got close by that saul had been killed and jonathan had been killed and the maid that was carrying little mephibosheth jonathan's son She goes running out of the house to hear this news. And someone says, Saul's been killed. Jonathan's been killed. And out of utter despair, she drops the little baby, Mephibosheth. And when she drops him, he then is literally crippled for the rest of his life. He has mangled legs, his small little frame perhaps even fallen on rocks as that countryside is so rocky, the ground is so hard. And he falls to the ground as just a baby and his legs are twisted and tangled and so he he grows up literally a paraplegic. The Bible says that he was lame in both of his feet, and he was immediately relegated to a role of dependence on everyone else. Folks would perhaps go by and look at him and just sort of shake their head. He was loaded with promise, potential, and through no fault of his own, he lives with this accident. Shortly after that, David comes to the throne and Mephibosheth, who was to be born and to be raised in the palace as the next heir. Like we see these people in England, the, the king of this, the prince of that, and all that goes on is the next line of royalty and so forth and so on, and now there's a new baby over there. I can't remember his name, but he's fourth or fifth. In line or whatever, and everybody wants to see a picture of it. This was little Mephibosheth; he was to be the next third in line, second in line. But now he's simply a crippled. Not only that, but the kingdom changes, and now it goes to David, and David is establishing his own kingdom and all that goes with that. So Mephibosheth is sort of pushed aside somewhere. Maybe some servants that were still loyal to the family took care of him. And he grows up and he becomes older, but he's still always dependent on others to move him around. One day after many years, he's grown now. has a family of his own. Zilba, who is a servant of the household of Saul... And he's still there loyal to Mephibosheth. He informs Mephibosheth that King David wants to see him. David, the new king. Mephibosheth is so frightened because everybody knows the conflict between Mephibosheth's grandfather and David. King Saul had chased him and wanted to take his life and David had run from cave to cave and. But maybe the the underlying story is not as familiar and that is that David and Jonathan, Mephibosheth's father, King Saul's son, were best friends and their souls were knit together. And Mephibosheth doesn't know this, but there was an agreement that David made with Jonathan. There was a covenant that was made. Jonathan was loyal to David even at the expense of his own role as being the next king of Israel. Jonathan recognized that the hand of God was upon David. Even though David may have been a threat to Jonathan being the next king, Jonathan was such a person of character that he sided with David against his own father, and his father was furious about it. He was still loyal to his dad, but he recognized the hand of God upon David, and so. Him and David made an agreement, they made a covenant together, and David has been king now for a little while, and he remembers this covenant that he had made with Jonathan, that he would look after Jonathan, and Jonathan would look after him and their families and their children, and so he sends word out, is there any descendants, are there any children of Jonathan? Well, there is this Mephibosheth, he's, he, he's, he's crippled, he lives over there in that land that you designated for Saul's household, and... He says, bring Mephibosheth. So Zilba communicates to Mephibosheth that the king wants to see him and Mephibosheth makes his way to David. Fearful, uncertain. You remember when you first came to the Lord? You didn't know for sure if he would receive you. You knew he was your creator. You knew he was the mighty God in Christ. But you also knew all of your own shortcomings. And so there was that trepidation of Would the Lord really forgive me? Because we're our own worst enemies. We know all of our shortcomings. We know about the beast within. We know the scars, the mars, the mistakes, the regrets. And yet, somehow, once again, our Savior surprises us. And He takes His arms and wraps them around us. Well, this was Mephibosheth. He was fearful, he was uncertain. Every step is a struggle. He has to be carried. Every move comes with great deliberation. His thoughts are racing. Perhaps this is, this, this is it. This is the end. The new king wants to make sure all the descendants are eliminated so he won't have any competition. So there'll be no doubt. Nobody ever thinking they've got to go back to Saul's lineage. This is it. This is how it ends. He probably said goodbye to his children. Then he stands before David. Or he leans on something, or he sits down, or he crawls, I'm not even sure. But David tells Mephibosheth that he's going to give him his father's land. It's all going to be given to you. He also tells him that he will have bread to eat. And then he says, from now on you will sit at the king's table once again the table of restoration comes into full view once again the table of restoration a new king restoring somebody back to the place that they were originally intended to be and you know this is what struck me about this table of restoration for mephibosheth as mephibosheth sits at the king's table His crooked, mangled legs are hidden from view. They're under the table. From the waist up, he looks like royalty. Just beneath the table, the curtain that extends beyond those king's royal tapestries, there are these mangled legs. But now he sits as upright as he can at the table of restoration and people come in and see the king and people come in and want to have audience with the king and there sits Mephibosheth nobody knows his past nobody knows all the mangled legs the hurt the crisis that's just beneath the table they look at him and he looks like any other part of royalty but just beneath the table is all the mangled legs we know all of our own shortcomings we know all of our mistakes but god is so good hallelujah he covers it all with his blood we can come into the house of god we can lift our hands and say glory be to god and we can sit in heavenly places and we can sup with a royal king hallelujah he is the king of kings and the lord of lords and his table covers all of our shortcomings what a great god we serve why don't we lift our hands and thank him right now for that lord i thank you that you have restored us hallelujah you have given us god the opportunity to sit at your table then mephibosheth you know he looks like everybody else his manners his conversation his appearance he belongs at that table did any of you here if you could be totally honest Did you ever imagine yourself being a consistent, church-going disciple of Christ? You never imagined yourself being a saint of God. You were hucking and bucking and running from club to club. You never imagined yourself, and here you are, and people come by and shake your hand, and you look now like an angel that just come down from heaven. People look at you and say, you must have been born speaking in tongues. you got such a beautiful spirit. You look like you were made. You must have been born in the church under the pew. You look like you belong here. That's because from the waist up, you're royalty. (laughs) Oh, but if all of us could testify today where the Lord's brought us from. And every once in a while, we need to remind ourselves. We were nothing. We were lost. We were undone. We were just a mangled mess. But God. The Lord does what David did for Mephibosheth. He he restores him back to that identity of royalty. Restored to that identity that his father intended. Say, why did David do that? Because David knew something about the table of restoration. He knew a father that prepared a place for him. He knew a God that could make everything right again. Put it all back. Hide the shame. Remove the pain. In Psalms chapter 23, we read those powerful verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul David knew what it was like to be restored. He said, I've got a heavenly God. I've got a shepherd that's prepared a table of restoration for me. He knew what it was like to be crippled emotionally and for God to place him at the table of mercy. David knew about the honor of the table. He knew what it meant to be at the table of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so this morning ladies and gentlemen i simply leave you with this word you don't have to be born into this to be at the king's table you don't have to be perfect to sit at the table all you have to do is accept the invitation from the king come and dine the master call come and dine jesus has a table spread Where the saints of God are fed. Come and dine. This is the invitation that Jesus gave. This is the invitation of the new king. We read about it in Luke chapter 22 and verse 29 and 30. And I appoint unto you a kingdom as my father hath appointed unto me. That ye may eat and drink at my table. In my kingdom. And sit on thrones. Judging the twelve tribes of Israel. His table. Covers your sins. His table. Restores what you were created for. His table. Puts you back in the position. Of fulfilling your potential. Sin may have dropped you. Sin may have mangled you. But Jesus will pick you up. And make you a permanent fixture in the house of God. Hallelujah. He will adopt you into the royal family. And you will join the rest that say, I belong. Hallelujah. At the king's table. Oh, why don't you stand to your feet this morning? Why don't we lift up our hands? And why don't we thank the Lord? Hallelujah. For the table of restoration. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave us in our shame. You didn't leave us, Lord, in our hurt and in our pain and our disgrace. But God, you rescued us, Lord. You brought us in, Lord, to your house. You gave us a place at the table, oh, Lord. You restored unto us the joy of that salvation. I thank you for it, Lord. And today, God, as we come into your house and we stand in your presence, We say, God, we will accept the invitation from the king. We will accept the invitation, Lord, to come and to sit, Lord, in your presence. And to eat of this fresh bread that you have prepared for us, Lord. We thank you for your presence. And now, Lord, allow us to dine in what you have prepared for each and every one of us. That your spirit may minister to your people. In the name of Jesus. Everybody say amen. Amen.